Hello, and welcome to VoIP for Independent Telecoms, the podcast for local service providers who want to offer great services on a resilient network. I'm your host, Andrew Ward from Award Consulting, and I'm joined today by Roy Martindale, CTO of USA Digital. Welcome, Roy. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Excellent. I'm very glad you could be here. I wanted to get you on the podcast because USA Digital is a bit different from most of our listeners in that you have a mix of class four and class five services rather than just being pure class five, which is true for a lot of those audience. But before we dig into that, I was actually wondering if we could start out by getting a little bit of your personal background, your story and your career to date. How did you end up in telecoms? (laughs) Uh, well, completely by accident, as possibly most of us have. I actually uh, started out here in Oklahoma City, where I'm located now, although I've moved around a lot in between times. I started out in 1985, so it's been a long time, with Hertz Reservations here in Oklahoma City in their data department. Learned uh, a lot about data communications, how all this works, and then through a series of different progressions of jobs wound up with an integration company with two partners in Seattle during the dot-com boom. That's where I started adding voice services to my repertoire and then went to work for Metaswitch for about five years where I learned a lot more about voice from a carrier standpoint as opposed to an enterprise standpoint and then have come around to being the CTO here at USA Digital where all we do is carrier-grade voice. And even that's not quite accurate. We also do a lot of data here as well. Cool. Yeah, it sounds like you've had quite a journey and quite a few different stops along the way. I'm curious about the Seattle thing. So you actually co-founded a company, is that right? Yes. we. It was an integration company. At the time, it was all data. We really didn't do any voice. And honestly, I didn't really even know anything about voice you know, per se, and I, how of working with it or the equipment used to convey voice from one point to another. Yeah, we ran up. Uh, we had we were doing about at the height of the dot com. We were selling circuits, voice circuits, data circuits, hardware, installing hardware. We had sixteen people doing about two million a year in revenue. And then when the dot com boom burst, we started like. Most people, we started laying people off and then got back down to just the original three people. And then we just, we closed the company. I imagine that would have been quite a exhilarating, but also pretty stressful experience to go through that up and then down again. It was definitely one of the hardest things to do as a owner of a company or, or even or a manager is to lay people off who have through no fault of their own. You know, it's not like you're firing them because they're not performing or anything like that. It's just like, hey, you know, the business isn't there. We have to let you go. It's it's extremely hard to do because, you know, you feel responsible for their employment and you try to do things right, not only from a business standpoint, but in treating your employees. So it's, it was quite difficult. But yes, it was a thrilling ride and uh, learned a lot about running a business that I hadn't had that experience before. Cool. So as I said, today I want to focus mostly on USA Digital, um, which you joined after after your time at Metaswitch, when we obviously met each other um, a little bit, although we weren't um, working closely together. So could you tell me a little bit about USAD, where you said you're based in Oklahoma, but you know, give us an idea of the kind of services USAD offers, kind of what scope you have in terms of like your size of your network, just to get a feel for, uh, for what that business is. Sure. At its core, USA Digital is an inter-exchange carrier. 
So, and it started out in the classic sense of buying or, or securing long distance in large amounts from upstream carriers and then selling long distance service to ILEX and CLEX, which was, you know, how we started out and making our profit, our money in the margin between what we sell for and what we buy it for. Classic, you know, any business. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sell it for more than you buy it and make a profit. And uh, initially it was all just reseller, resold CenturyLink circuits and made money that way. And then USA Digital decided to get their own switches. So they decided to go with MetaSwitch. This is actually when I was a support engineer for MetaSwitch and they wound up being one of my customers. Started off with one switch and an SBC in Las Vegas. I helped them get that going and they were doing it. And then I eventually came to USA Digital where we then added a second switch, again, MetaSwitch and uh, SBC in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So we became a true tier two multi-pop redundant provider. Since then, we've added various data services, class five services, and so forth on top of that. That's cool. It's interesting to see the evolution from that initial business, which was literally parceling out a large amount of long distance that you'd purchased into smaller chunks and taking something in the middle and to now where you've got a more substantial network of your own that you're operating as part of that that same service. It's kind of a natural course and it's not anything new. What we invented, you know, a lot of companies did that and it it's simply because as you and everyone listening knows that long distance has gotten cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and you just can't make a living selling just long distance. You have to constantly reinvent yourself and add new services, be good at those services where you can continue to make a decent margin to keep your your doors open. In a moment, move on to kind of talk about some of the other services you've added in more recent years. But sticking with just the LD parts for now, many ILEX or small CLEX don't really think much about what happens in the LD network. Right? They send their calls over you know, SIP trunk to USA Digital, for example, and then they forget about them and just they end up in the right place and they get charged a certain amount per minute and that's that. What actually happens, you know, just in terms of, to educate the, the listenership, you know, when you get a call, what is actually happening in the Class 4 network to make sure that call ends up in the right place at a reasonable rate? Well, at the core, anyone that's doing this is going to use an LCR, which is a least cost routing engine. So that based on the calling and called NPA and XX, typically there's other ways to do it, but that's typically how it's done and and analyzed to send a call to a, in real time, query a database and decide who is the best carrier to complete this call. Now, some people who are very inexpensive LD carriers, they simply do that based on rate. What is their rate? Who is the absolute least expensive carrier to complete this call for me so I can make the most of my margin? Now, USA Digital does that, but we add a second layer to it in that we say, okay, of the carriers that we have, and we we have a plethora of carriers that we deal with, which ones we know are going to complete this call? And then within those, what's the best rate? we can get because we're in the business of completing calls and completing calls with good quality. So that's what, that's the criteria we use. So really, and if you think about it, it sometimes it still stuns me at how fast some of this all takes place. So if we get a, a SIP call from a customer for long distance termination, 
we go out and we do a an LNP dip and see if the number's been ported somewhere. We get that information back. Then we do a query to the LCR. What are the three best carriers to complete this call? Then we try the first carrier. Most of the time, it completes to the first carrier. Great. That carrier may even go through the same process that we did. But eventually, we get, in the case of SIP, early media indication that, okay, the other side's ringing. And then finally, okay, here's an indication that the other side is answered. But it still kind of astounds me that calls complete as fast as they do when there's so much going on in a SIP network, and not just in our network, but possibly multiple networks along the way. It's, it still fascinates me. Yeah, absolutely. And and as you say, particularly because the carriers further into the network are probably doing very similar things to you. And all of this processing is happening over and over again. And yet uh, post-dial delay is negligible and barely noticeable to the subscribers. And, and if I could just add one more thing. And now, since June 30th, you've got the whole stir-shaken attestation in there, which we're doing. So aside from the other things I mentioned, we're also going out and getting a token to place on the call to send out. So it's, yeah, there's just so much going on. It's crazy, but it all works. Yep. There's a lot going on. You mentioned that you take care to select carriers that will actually complete the call, which sounds like an obvious thing to do, but I think a lot of rural ILEX have at some point experienced issues with rural call completion, which as I understand it, my kind of model of this problem is that you have various long distance carriers, you've got cheap rates, and when they have to deliver a call to an area where the cost to terminate it is expensive, they actually just reject the call. Is, is, that, is that the right model to think about that problem? There are carriers that do that. Is it the right model? No, I don't, I don't <laughs> believe it to be the right model. No, no, no. That, that, <laughs> am I assuming what's happening correctly is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they will do that. Yes, there are some carriers that you send a call to and it's a rural location in Iowa and to terminate it, it's hugely expensive. And as part of their LCR process, they have uh, margin security turned on so that if a call is going to result in negative margin, they just reject the call and say, hey, try somebody else. We just can't do it. We don't do that. There are regulations under which we fall that say if we get a call that's terminating to a rural area, we have to do our absolute best to complete it. So that's what we do. You know, And sometimes on some calls, these areas, we are upside down. But it's our obligation to complete it. And, you know, in the whole scheme of things across, you know, any particular customer, that one call may be upside down, but we still make our margin on the other calls and it all comes out in the end. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Makes sense. Cool. So you mentioned uh, Shaken. I think the whole world has been worrying about that over the last six months in particular. I have lots of class five uh, switches now have you know implemented Stir Shaken or at least you know implemented a robocall mitigation program. As an intermediate carrier, I think you know Stir Shaken looks a little bit different for you compared to you know those who have the subscribers terminating or connected to their own switch. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about what it is like to deal with Stir Shaken when you're an intermediate carrier? Sure. One of the funny things is, though, about Stir Shaken is we spent over a year preparing for it, getting everything, all of our ducks in a row, dotted, T's crossed, and we're completely ready for it. And it has turned out after the first couple of months to really just kind of been a tempest in a teacup. (laughs) (laughs) It's not really, let's just say, a lot of the calls aren't making to the other end with the token as been assumed. 
I saw some stats that I, I don't remember the precise number, but order of magnitude, something like 15% of calls in July had stir-shaken attestation and identity tokens on them. I don't know if that number is exactly right, but it was some surprisingly small number. And we were surprised at the numbers we saw just within our own network. Now, now we're tokening every call that goes out, sometimes because our customers don't meet the criteria to be able to get their own token and then test their own call. So we're doing it for them. Some of our customers do meet that criteria and should, but fall in the category where they were given a pass is like you have under 100,000 subscribers, so you get an extra two-year extension and, and you know we're tokening them. For them, but 100% of the calls going out of our network have stir shaken tokens. And that's either because we token them or our customer tokened them and we're passing that through. Surprisingly, and it's about the same percentage for calls that we receive inbound on DIDs or toll free numbers, it's around 20, 22% of the calls that we receive actually have tokens. Now, whether that's because they're not getting tokened or simply because they hit a TDM network somewhere in between, which on the toll-free network is a great percentage of calls are hitting a, a TDM trunk somewhere. And then, of course, the token just disappears at that point. Pretty small percentage. Yep. Yeah. Hopefully, eventually that number will go up. But the FCC has gone to a lot of trouble over this. And it is a little surprising that it's not that it's having such a relatively small impact. The other thing that I'm curious how you're approaching is there's a deadline at the end of September, I think, which says something to the effect that intermediate carriers can only accept calls from folks who are in the, the FCC's new robocall mitigation database, which I think for most small ILEX is not that big a deal because they don't have that many different carriers that they interconnect with. But I imagine potentially for somebody who's more in the middle of the network, that could be a fairly onerous responsibility. Uh, yeah. Are you prepared for that? Do you have a plan or is it uh, something that's still still six weeks away? We can worry about it later. <laughs> no, six weeks is the blink of an eye in, in this industry. You, you know that. <laughs> but we have worked and we started working quite some time ago with all of our customers who would fall into that category of needing who weren't going to token calls. We were going to token them for them, but needed to be in this database. So we've been working with them, make sure they were aware of it. Surprisingly, many weren't, you know, which uh, I, I did find surprising being that they're in this industry. It's what they do, but, you know, they simply hadn't heard of this coming up. So we've been helping them and, and giving them the links and telling them what to do. And you need to get a robocall mitigation plan on file because supposedly, you know, the end of September, we won't be able to accept calls from you if you're not in this. There, there's a couple of, well, there's more than a couple. There's, there's several issues with this whole process. One, it's kind of a conflicting set of commands from, from like the FCC. As an inter-exchange carrier, someone sends us a call we have to complete it or we can get fined or we have to make every attempt to complete it. Yet here they are saying, well, if you get a call from certain people who haven't done this, well, then you're going to have to reject that call. So we're not inclined to be rejecting them just out of hand. So I think we'll just continue passing traffic until something gets done that's a little more clearly defined. But again, like I said, we've been working with a lot of our customers making sure they get on there. So I, I don't think we'll get ourselves into a place where we're taking calls from someone who's not that we shouldn't, or at least that the FCC says we shouldn't. But at the same time, we'll probably take calls from them until the FCC says, hey, you shouldn't. <laughs> then we'll say, okay, yeah. <laughs> put that in writing and give us a, you know, get out of jail free card here. 
Yeah, it feels like with with this whole process, the FCC is continually going through a general to specific guidelines process where they give you some broad idea of what they want to do. And then we all say, I'm not really sure how that's going to work. And then they give us more and more details. And as we get closer to the deadlines, things become a little clearer. And hopefully that's what's going to happen here as well. Yeah. And like one of the basic things is they haven't stated, you know, how often you should check. I mean, I you need to, I you need that. to check. Yeah. Do you need to check every call you get? Oh, I need to go ping a database and see if, see if this customer has, is okay. Or is it once a day, once a month, once a year, <laughs> you know, when, how often do you go check? Yep. Yeah. I was wondering exactly the same thing. It's not clear and hopefully they will they will make it so if this is something they want to enforce. Okay, moving on from Stir Shaken, beyond LD services and class four, I believe you've kind of recently been dipping your toe into more class five E territory and maybe some UCAS and, and that kind of thing. So I'm curious to hear what you're doing beyond the you know long distance services space. Sure. We have moved into what we'll generically call class five as a broad stroke, just because One, we haven't done it before. We're finding that we're having a lot of customers ask us if we can do it along with the other services that they're uh, querying us about. You know, it gets us into, it's kind of an entree into other areas and things that we can start providing for these customers. So we have come up with a UCAS system called Omnicast. It's a hosted PBX. It has, you know, all the things that you would expect today from a UCAS system. Uh, there's a couple of levels of texting from either your extension or mass texting from the company. It's got audio attendant call queues, conference bridges, conferencing chat, a call center application. It's nothing new under the sun. It's not like some, holy cow, this is a game changer. It's, it's there as a very good, well-rounded, fully featured UCAS platform. But what it does is then it lets us add to that the other services that we have added recently. So like cloud-based call recording. I don't know if any of your listeners have heard of Pindrop, very high-end fraud detection system. They're integrated into our network. So, you know, anyone can send, who's on our network, can send calls to Pindrop for fraud analysis, real-time fraud analysis. Of course, there's the stir shaken part, international fraud detection, And our customers have access to our inbound DID and toll-free routing, where between the Class 4 and Class 5, since we are, in fact, the carrier for the Class 5 service, when a customer has inbound toll-frees that may be going to a call center, they can just call us up and say, hey, we need some DIDs, but we want them to go to the Omnicast platform. We can do that. They all come into us. They have the same robustness, the same redundancy that is built into our class four network, but we route them off to that platform and either us or the customer has access to them to route them back and forth. So you can have a toll-free number that's going to a call center, but all of a sudden has to of some sort. It's like, hey, we want to route this to the Omnicast class five platform, and we need to put it into a call queue for a certain set of agents. Great. All we do, we do a Quick change, set up the call queue, and there it is. So I think from that perspective, we're really bringing something completely different to the in the, the broad stroke class five scenario. Because we are a class four carrier and have all that redundancy built in, it adds a whole additional layer that 
most companies can't duplicate. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, so it's not that your you know Omnicast platform is maybe better as a UCAS platform. It's comparable to others out there. But because you are the Class 4 provider as well, the combination of those services with the Class 4 style services that you have gives you, I think, what the MBA people call vertical integration. You've got the more of the stack of things that people need all integrated together, which is, is very powerful. Yeah, we believe so. And we like to continually to innovate even if you get our class five setup, you still may have some people in your organization or all the people in your organization who are using Teams. We can integrate into Teams as well and route calls to your Teams calling functions as well. Even if you are mainly using our class five system, there may be reasons that certain groups prefer to use Teams or need to use Teams for their voice. And we integrate with that, again, all across the whole class four system. So again, you can route call numbers back and forth between Teams, the Omnicast platform, or a straight call center class four SIP drum. Very cool. Yeah, it sounds like you've got the whole gamut there from top to bottom, all the way from Teams clients, just software on people's machines, which is all integrated in all the way through to the class five offering. So that's very cool. And like you said, the, the redundancy that you get there, the ability to you know reconfigure things at, at the toll-free number, at the, the ID level, um, all the way through is very powerful and allows you to give very robust service to your customers. Cool. So Roy, I don't want to take up uh, the entirety of your day. So um, thank you for spending time uh, sharing this all with me. If listeners want to connect with you personally, or maybe learn more about USA Digital Services, what's the best way to do that? Maybe your website or LinkedIn or whatever works for you. Uh, sure. Of course, you can always find us at usad.com. That's our website. Feel free to call me at any time. I'm at 877-247-3521. That's my direct toll-free. And I can connect you with anyone that you need to talk to, either salesperson or if you have technical questions, I'm, I'm happy to answer any technical questions that you might have about our particular services or how we do things. But yeah, anytime anyone can call or generically just go search our website. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. If you're listening, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if so, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or whichever podcast player you prefer and tune in for the next episode of VoIP for Independent Telecoms. Thank you very much.